today we will be discussing the Israeli-Palestine conflict with my guest Sergio Halabi. We understand that this subject evokes strong emotions and differing perspectives. In the spirit of fostering understanding and respectful dialogue, we ask that you listen to this discussion with an open heart and an open mind. Our goal is to create a space for constructive conversation that promotes empathy and awareness. We are honored to have a guest with us who will provide valuable insights. And we encourage you to engage thoughtfully and respectfully in this important conversation. Thank you. All right, welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Sergio Halabi. Is that correct? Yep. All right, then. Welcome uh, to the show, Sergio. Before we dive into this delicate topic, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, so I am um, I'm Lebanese. I was born in Beirut uh, in 85. I was brought up um, Christian, Catholic. And um, obviously, since from 85 until the time I left, which was in 2009, because I left Lebanon, I moved to another country here in the Arab world. I'm in Bahrain now. And um, yeah, basically, I've I've kind of been exposed to all sorts of war. Uh, I was born during the civil war, uh, which was in Lebanon from 1975 to 1990. So you could say the first five years of my life were part of uh, of a civil war um in fact the first memory i have is uh, seeing a tank rolling outside my window so that's literally the the earliest memory i have uh, i was 2 years old um and obviously we we were exposed to several different wars that have happened uh, while i was growing up whether it was internal whether it came from the Syrian regime, whether it came from the Palestinians, it came from the Israelis, we, we've kind of been, you know, attacked a lot uh, and it had destroyed uh, our economy to, to almost point of no recovery. So at the age of 24, I was like, this is it, uh, I'm, I'm leaving. So I left. That was, as I said, in 2009, moved and yeah, that's uh, that's basically a very short summary of uh, of my life in Lebanon and being exposed to a lot of things that, uh, you know, others haven't been exposed to. Gotcha. Um, in our email exchange, you said something about a missile hitting your house when yeah. you were a child. Yeah. So that was, uh, so with the first house we were living in, uh, we were, it was a, um, it was a three story building and we were on the top floor. So I remember like that was very normal for me where every night, because uh, I have a, I have also an older sister. So my parents, my older sister and me, we would leave the apartment and go to sleep in the, uh, the floor below us. Uh, and I, I would know why, uh, even at that, at the age of two and three, I would still understand why like they wouldn't hide it from me because we were scared that a missile would hit us. And given that we were on the top floor, it would you know, definitely kill us. So at least if we were living in the middle uh, of the building, there would be a chance to, to survive that. So that was like the natural 
you know, life occurrence thing for me. And uh, when it got too, too heavy in the same city where I was, where we were living, uh, my parents decided that we needed to leave the entire area. And uh, we left and moved all the way to the north of Lebanon. So we left Beirut, we moved to the north of Lebanon, where we were living in a house with two other families. So we're three families living in the same house, in the same house. Uh, that lasted for about a year. Now, within that year, a month after we moved, my parents found out that a missile had struck our building and it had destroyed the house we were living in. So it's wow. still destroyed till now. Like I went, I visited it um, about four or five years ago. I went back to Lebanon on my one day, many trips that I go, but that time I decided to go and I, I went there and I could see my, my, my bedroom went from when I was three, like the toys are still there. Everything is, is destroyed, the rubbles. It's just like you see in a movie. That's exactly how it was. So you can see my, my clothes, my toys, my bed, all of it completely destroyed. Wow, man. I can't imagine yeah. how that must feel. Um, so let's hop into it. Um, what is the historical context of the Israeli-Palestine conflict? And how did all this begin? Yeah, so uh, let me just kind of start off by saying a couple of things, just to kind of set the tone here. Number right. one, obviously, um, no matter what side I'm, in, I'm on, and it's actually, it's always going to be the side of the people and not the side of, of those who want the war to continue on either side. Uh, it, it just, it's extremely frustrating for people like me to not only have lived stuff like that, but it's the only reality I know. Like since I was born and I hear about this war between Palestine and Israel, and it has affected the entire region and it has begun since before my parents were born as well. So this is something that's ongoing. And the only people, the only side that, that suffers are innocent civilians, the only side. And I'm talking on both both sides. This is not just one ended where one side suffers, the other doesn't or whatever. It's always civilians who are suffering. And it's because of that, because of how powerless we are, that it's just a very sensitive and frustrating topic for me and everyone around me and anyone anyone who goes online today whether they're going on tiktok or they're going on podcasts or on instagram or whatever because now apparently everyone is an expert in middle east conflicts um anyone who says this is a very simple situation and a very simple solution where people where you know the israeli forces should just withdraw has no fucking idea has no idea what they're talking about. Like they have no idea what they're saying. This is not a simple uh, problem and it does not have a simple solution. If it had a simple solution, it would have been resolved within the last 75 years. Okay, this is not new. Everything we're witnessing today, all the, the only thing different from what's happening today to what's been happening for the last 75 years is that social media exists. So there is more eyes on it. But the suffering, the bloodshed, the the, the attacks, the the, the chants, uh, the propaganda on both sides, it's the same. It's what I've been hearing my entire life. So this is not solution uh, that, that is simple, that's easy, where, oh, you know, we just need the, the, the Israeli to just leave or the Jewish people just leave and everything will be fine. It's not, it's not like that. Okay. First of all, this is deep, deep rooted in, in religion and in ideology on both sides. Okay. Both sides on a religious level 
claim the land. Okay, there is no denying it. Israelis and the Jewish people have, this is their promised land. It has been like that for the past, since Judaism began. By the way, even though I'm Christian, I'm, I'm anti-religion completely. I was brought up Christian, but to me, like I've, I've, that's a different topic, but I don't side with any religion. So when it comes to Judaism, they have within their own, you know, indoctrinated ideology is that this is the promised land. This is what God gave them. And this is where the, the basically like the, the, the third time the temple of, uh, of Solomon is going to be built. And that's going to lead to the end of the world. And, you know, they're going to go to heaven. On the other side, Islam says the, almost the same thing. You have a mosque there that is crucial to Islam, Al-Aqsa Mosque. I don't know how familiar you are with this or not, but this Aqsa Mosque is something that is also within the religion. It's, it's uh, the liberation of Aqsa Mosque is an Islamic religion. It means that this is the end of times. It's when uh, the Prophet Isa is going to come back from heaven, is going to lead the world into ultimate peace and in the end of the and end of times. So you are talking about a land that not only has been drenched in blood for thousands of years, thousands of years, the two parties that are now fighting over it are fighting over it not from a social, political, or any other aspect than religious, okay? The, 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 this is how they're able to move everyone. This is how they're able to emotionally affect and have people continue this cause from both sides because we are religiously tied to this land. That means there is no, uh, there is no conceding. There, no, no side is ever going to concede this land because if you concede it, it means that you are letting go of your deep religious belief and there's nothing more personal and emotional to someone than, than his religion. So it's very, it's, it's very important to understand that when Arabs and Muslim people in the Arab world demand that this colonization uh, this, you know, ethnic cleansing, this genocide to stop. And they need, you know, like we should uh, have the Jewish people leave the, the, the land. There is nowhere for them to leave. That's the difference between what colonizers used to do before when we're talking about France and Britain, Britain, what they did after World War One, right? So they colonized the Middle East after the fall of the Ottoman Empire. And they were like, okay, so we're going to divide this land, this entire Middle East region. And France, you take Lebanon and Syria, and I will take, uh, you know, uh, Saudi, and I will take uh, Bahrain, and I will do, and you will take Egypt. And I will, once they divided all of that, right? So they divided them and they colonized them. And after decades, the colonization ended. So they left, right? So these French and British powers, they left. Why did they leave? Because they have a place to leave to. They went back to their country. That's the problem here. The problem with this situation is that there's nowhere, like in reality, there's nowhere for Jewish people to leave the land. There's no, they, they, don't, they don't come from another land. That's, that's, you know, so they have to find a solution. They have to find, or else this, this bloodshed is going to keep going. Now, you asked me in terms of the, the, the source of this fight and everything, pretty sure at some point, like we all are familiar in uh, what happened in 1948, which is when 
the the immigration began basically the jewish people left europe and came to 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 israel palestine and then they kind of settled there and that led to what is known to as uh, al nakba and al nakba is when uh, basically palestinians were kind of being fought out of their land and the, the israeli settlers came in and all that and then after around 20 years, in 1967, uh, there's something that is called the Six-Day War, which is when the the neighboring Arab countries kind of banded together with Palestine to fight Israel. Now, after six days, Israel won that war. And because they won the war, not only did they push back the other Arab countries, but they took the lands in which those wars were happening, which is why you can see the map, basically, of, the, of Palestine shrinking over time and why Israel map is expanding because there were wars that would happen and Israelis took over those lands. Now, again, there's so much propaganda on both sides that it's difficult for people who are not from this land to understand what the truth is, who's lying and who's not. That That's, that's a given, right? In every war, there's so much propaganda and there's so much uh, going on. But the reality is that both sides kind of have a claim to the land, right? Because you want to go back a thousand years into the past and you see it was through the Islamic conquest that the Islamic faith reached the land of, of, of Palestine and Israel. There were, the, 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 um, uh, there were people living there. There were Jewish settlements. There were uh, pagans. There were people who were not believing in anything, had their own... Uh, religions, but then through the Islamic conquest, that land was taken and it was, you know, be became Muslim. But before that, it was owned by the, the Jewish. And before that, it was owned by the Romans. And before that, it was... So you're talking about a land that has existed since the dawn of civilization, and it has always, always suffered and it's like there's so much blood going on like from, from ancient jewish times when we're talking about abraham and you're talking about moses and you're talking, talking about wars that have happened on that land and every once in a while like every 500 years or a thousand years there's a new power that kind of settles in you had the jewish people there and then around 60, 60, the year 60 before Christ, the first, you know, there was some sort of like a, like a civil war happened between the Jewish people. And that civil war led to the, to the intervention of the Romans. So, so the Romans came in to kind of calm things down and then they took over the land. And which is why in the Bible, there was always Jewish people and there is Romans as well, because the Romans were in control. And then in 70 AD, there was another revolution from the from the Jewish people, and they they wanted to get rid of the Romans, who at the time were only Romans. It was not the Christian church. They were purely Romans with their Roman faith. And that revolution of the Jewish people failed miserably, and the Romans were able to come into Jerusalem and actually destroy the Temple of Solomon. And that's a huge, huge deal in the Jewish um, faith and in their, their history. So once they took over that, it be, it stayed Roman for, a, for hundreds of years. After a long time from when the Romans changed and became Catholics, the Roman Catholic Church, the, the Roman faith and the, the, the new Christian faith, that was uh, you know, 
spreading all over the land, including the land of Israel and the land of what we're calling now uh, Palestine. So they became Christians. And after Islam came into power and after the death of the prophet of Islam, that's when the Islamic conquest began. So around 640 AD, that's when you know uh, Islam was, was spreading from the island, from Arabia, and it was going upwards towards Syria, towards Palestine, towards um, uh, Iraq and Iran and, and all these lands. And that's when the, uh, the Arabs, Muslims, took over the land and dubbed it Arab, and that's the faith of the Muslims became uh, became the dominant uh, faith there. That stayed there until the the Ottoman Empire came. There were so many empires throughout uh, throughout the the you know the golden age of Islam, and um, and it it stayed until the twentieth century when the Ottoman Empire fell during World War One. So this land. Yeah, I've said that this land, you know, is, is, is always, you know, drenched with blood and everything. And there's so much history of it. And that's why it's such a complicated situation, because people want to claim it's for the Jewish people, because as far back as we can trace it, you know, there was uh, the Jewish were sitting there. And then others want to say, no, this is actually Christian land, because this is where Jesus was born and he walked and he died. He was crucified in that land. So this is more of a Christian land. And then Muslims came and said, no, this is our land because we took over it and it's been a thousand or a thousand years that we've had it. So now it's it's Muslim land. That's the problem with this. This is not something that just happened 75 years ago out of nowhere. Even, even before 1947, before that, there were Jewish settlements in the area and they were being uh, attacked by Arab settlements. And also in 1800s as well, in the late 1800s, there was another war that happened in the land between the Jewish and the Arabs. So this keeps going backwards and backwards. And it feels like this is never going to end. It's going to keep happening all the time until people learn to live together, until people accept that this is the only way forward because we've been doing it again and again. And if we only want to talk about modern history, we only talk about 75 years, this has been going on for a long time. So I'm, like it feels sometimes that I'm living in a cycle where I see Palestinians and their leaders, whether it was Hamas or before that, it was the PLO, which is the Palestinian Liberation Organization. They attack Israel lands, then they retreat, and then everyone celebrates, oh, this is the revolution. It's happening. Israel is going to fall. And then Israeli forces bomb them into oblivion. And then people die and children die and women die. And then after that, they get to a new agreement. And then everyone's quiet for a couple of years. And then we start the cycle all over again. It's insane to me how, how many times I've watched this. It's like watching a movie on repeat. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, that was a really good uh, explanation of the history. You know, um, with the media, we don't really get all this. You know, yeah. the way the media has been reporting on this, in my opinion, has been abysmal. You know, oh, yeah. and it's it's very, um, it has a slant to it. You know, it's like no criticism whatsoever of Israel. And, you know, it's hard to tell what's going on. Uh, I don't like the way that you explained this. And it's, you know, these people... They've, it's been going on since antiquity, since the Bible yep. days. Yep. So my question is, how does this conflict impact the region? 
Um, like, uh, yeah, all, all the surrounding countries. See, look, uh, to, to give you another example of how complicated this is, and it's not as simple as that. Did, do you, did you wonder, for example, why is it that, you know how where Gaza is on the map and that mm-hmm. it has a border with Egypt, right? Yes. So if we want to say that Gaza is completely disconnected from the rest of, of Palestine, which is the West Bank, and it has a sea on the on the left side, so there is a border with Egypt. So the question that logically is is, is asked is, given that Egypt is Arab and Muslim and you know supporting the, the Palestinian cause, why didn't they open the borders? Why don't they let Palestinians in, right? And the reason why that happened and the reason why the rest of the Arab world does not let refugees in from Palestine is because there's an insane bloody history between Palestinians and the Arab world. So even, mm-hmm. even among Arab countries and Muslim countries, this is still not an easy, th- an, an easy thing. The civil war that happened in Lebanon in 1975 that had destroyed Lebanon, like, like Lebanon was, was the beacon. And they tell you Beirut was one of the be- most beautiful countries on the planet. It was the Switzerland of the Middle East. It was Paris of the Middle East. Like the, it was, you know, the, the leading country in the entire Arab world was Lebanon. And then in 1975, the civil war broke up, uh, broke out. The reason why that happened is because Palestinians were accepted in Lebanon as refugees. But what they wanted was to take over Lebanon. So they were fighting Lebanese people. Because in their uh, logic, what they wanted is, okay, so we don't have a land anymore, so we'll take over this land. They tried to do that in Jordan before, but the Jordan Jordanian army crushed them. And that's, uh, so when they were doing it, they were under this, um, that's what gave rise to the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And once they were crushed by the Jordanians, they moved their headquarters to, to Lebanon. Now, what happened in Lebanon is that the people of Lebanon kind of got into, into two sides. They, they broke into two sides. One side, which is more majority Muslim, were like, okay, so Lebanon is the only Christian country in the Middle East. It's an Arab country, but it's still the only Arab Christian country. And we want to change that to make it a Muslim country with Muslim laws, Sharia laws, and all that. So part of the army in Lebanon sided with the Palestinians to fight the other side, to fight the Christians of Lebanon. And the Christians of Lebanon decided arming themselves and it broke into so many different you know, aspects of it so that they would fight. So it was a pure religious war in Lebanon. On one side, you had the Christians. And on the other side, you had the Muslim Lebanese with the Palestinians. So that lasted 15 years. It was unbelievably complicated. It's a story for another time. But what, what's crazy about this is that because of all of that, Palestinians, for example, in Lebanon, who are born in Lebanon, don't have ID papers. They cannot get a passport. They cannot get ID papers because Lebanon does not um, register them. Like they, 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 they don't acknowledge them as a political as political refugees. Same thing in the other countries as well. So it's, it was only Jordan after they found a sort of like a like a political resolution that they were able to give some Palestinians who moved there uh, the 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 passport, the nationality. But that's the problem that the Arab world faces today is that there is a precedent and a history to allowing Palestinian refugees into their own countries because they will never leave. And from 1975 till 1982 in Lebanon, there was no attack from Israeli forces. 
So if you want to even go back further, so from 1947 until 1982, that's almost 40 years of occupation, Israeli forces did not attack Lebanon, did not throw a single bomb or missile or anything at Lebanon. When the Palestinians came into Lebanon, they started using Lebanon as a base to fire weapons into Israel. And in 1982, that's when Israeli forces came in to the south of Lebanon and they were like, okay, yeah, we, we're gonna you know, fight the Palestinians that are in your land because they keep firing at us. And when that ended, they left. They didn't even stay after agreements, obviously. But it just shows that even among Arab countries, the situation for Palestinians is not as easy because when you have organizations like Hamas, and like the PLO that are very war oriented and that's what they want, you can't negotiate with them. If you allow refugees in, you don't know who you're bringing in. I mean, obviously you want to, to rescue the civilians, you want to rescue people, but those people are also under that occupation of these organizations of Hamas and of, you know, you know what I mean? So the only innocent people are, are the civilians who are not part of anything else, but it's not a black and white situation or like just let them in, let them out. It's not because there are long-term effects and ripples to what happens when you allow the refugees that belong to a certain organization into your country. You're not going to be able to get them to let them leave anymore. So I actually never knew all that. Um, you know, the way this situation has been portrayed on social media, it's, you know, the Palestinians are the good guys and the Israelis are the bad guys. And you have a lot of protesters on yeah. college campuses uh, saying that they support Hamas, uh, yeah. saying that, you know, down with the Israelis, there's been a rise in anti-Semitism. Mm. What do you think about how this has been interpreted on social media? So uh, the, the it's because social media paints it in, in as if it is a very simple situation where like innocent people are suffering and you know there are aggressors and all that. I can understand it, and you know I, I don't hold it against people. People need to feel like they 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 want to help out. They want to do anything they can in order to you know spread the message to try to affect things politically. And absolutely, there has to be a ceasefire. Absolutely, people are dying and they're suffering. This is not even up for debate. You know, and and that's where the frustration comes because organizations like Hamas. They, they they always end up doing something like this where they kind of like poke the bear and then they it's not them that are suffering. It's the people who are suffering. You know, like people who don't, no one wants war from, from like civilians, people, normal people do not want war. It's the military who want war because they need to basically justify their existence, right? So if, if, if let's say Palestine get, is free completely and either both states live peacefully or... Israelis are no longer there and Palestine. Organizations like Hamas don't need to exist anymore, right? So it's like, why are you still there? You need to stop existing. They don't want that. They want war to keep happening. That's why they don't get to a solution. They don't get to agreements and, and to change things. What they want is to keep the machine going so that they justify their existence. They stay in power. They make money. They buy weapons. And, and you know, so, and and com companies that are producing these weapons, companies that are big oil, big bank, big weapon, they, they benefit obviously because war keeps growing and keeps keeps moving, and everyone is making money and everyone's making more power. And who's suffering? People. 
regular people like you and me. These are the ones who always suffer. That's why when when I see people uh, like people defending Hamas, for example, it's like you don't understand deep how deep complicated this situation is. You're not like yes, Palestinian peoples are suffering and they've always suffered because of these situations. But you can't keep trying the same thing over and over for 75 years and be surprised that it's not the same. It's it's, it's yielding the same result. That's what, what Einstein said. It's the, the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing, expecting different results. Stop doing the same thing. I'm not saying, you know, like uh, let, let them in and let them take over your country or whatever. No, I'm just saying let's have a conversation where perhaps this way that you've been trying to do it for 75 years Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you need to approach it differently because it's the people who are suffering. It's the entire region that are suffering. Everyone is 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 the the bloodshed, the the the, the children who are losing their parents. What do you imagine these children, for example, they're gonna grow up to be? If I am a child who I have who I lost my entire family, I'm eight years old, and all I know is that this country killed everyone I love. Of course, I'm going to be radicalized. Of course, I'm going to grow up and think of nothing else other than just killing them. And that's very understandable and expected. You're just creating generation after generation of hate and 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 suffering and anger that's never going to end. And that's why it's not ending, because at no point anyone wants to say, let's break the cycle. Let's agree to what happened. Let them, you know, let people who have died, you know, rest in peace and let's look at a new solution so that we avoid this in the future. But they don't want that. They want to keep the war going. They want to keep the fighting going. So when I hear people defending, even when they're defending the Israeli state, so if I'm, I'm talking too much on, on one side, if we, to, if we want to talk about the Israeli state as well, it's the same thing on their side. There's extreme indoctrination about this is the holy land, this is the promised land, it's your right, it's your job, It's it's uh, uh, you have to go to Israel and live there because that's where, uh, you know, God said uh, we are, we are God's chosen people and all that. It generates this hate in the new, in, in every child, in every, there's indoctrination happening that this is the only way and there is no other way for you to, to actually, you know, grow up or, or, or pray or whatever because you have to be praying at that temple. You have to go to that land because that's what God gave us. So you're also on that side creating an entire, you know, generation after generation of pure one-minded intolerance and racism and injustice because that's it. That's all anyone can see. So it's, it's, it's not as easy as support this group or support this group. In my opinion, both like obviously it's never gonna happen but it's the people who have to come together people on both sides whether they're jewish or whether they're muslims whether they're israelis or whether they're palestinians they have to come together and fight the class that is above them fight the the the, the warlords that are above them because those warlords that's how they gain power that's how they stay by by maintaining that war machine going they are the ones, and most of them don't even live there, by the way, which is like insane. You know, they're moving the chess pieces from across the globe and people are suffering and dying. You know what I mean? So it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, I think here in America, the issue is, is that a lot of people look at this issue kind of like how, uh, like, uh, what is it? Apartheid South Africa, you know, they yeah. kind of see it as that. 
are kind of like how uh, the Native Americans, you know, how the the settlers uh, in America, the colonial settlers yeah. treated the uh, Native Americans. And I think a lot of Americans kind of see it through that lens and they see it as simply uh, they are an oppressed people of color and the Jewish people are the white people coming in trying to wipe out the people of color. Um, and I see a lot of people parroting that narrative. So my question is this, uh, Hamas, do the people in Palestine, do they support Hamas? Are they like, uh, just like a dictator? Um, how did they come up? How did they come up about? And um, do the people in Palestine support Hamas? I mean, that's also a, a, a kind of like a, a complicated question because in as as every political party or side or whatever, there's always going to be people who are with this and people who are against it. So that's that's a given, right? Mm -hmm. And you have obviously people who support this because I mean they get their their you know people joining their armies and people that are based on actual belief in the cause and everything. So that's not it's not like you know, no, we're being oppressed by Hamas. So that's, of course, not. But at the end, but also they are parts of the people and a lot of them who are against this. So it's the same as Lebanon, for example. So in Lebanon, you know about um, uh, Hezbollah, the, 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 the organization? I've heard the have. name. Yeah. yeah so so same it's it's a it's a military organization that is in lebanon it's kind of like you know how you have al-qaeda you have uh isis for a while uh, like these kind of you know different uh military organizations and same thing in lebanon in lebanon it's like a lot of people are with a lot of people are against it but they have the military power they have the weapon so you can't really you know do anything about it or negotiate into this but i'm pretty sure that even though a lot of palestinians want their land to be free from the israeli occupation they also don't want to keep being dragged into wars that they did not start i mean especially the younger generations it's they were born into this right so at some point they will they want a different form of solution Problem is, you can't really say that out loud or you can't really advocate for it because it is a religious problem as well, not just political. So if, if you are Arab and Muslim and you're saying, I'm okay with the Jews being in the land of Palestine, then you're going against your own religion because your religion tells you that this is not only is your land, but also you need to have the mosque, the Aqsa mosque has to be freed. So... There is so much conflict, internal conflict, when it comes to this. People will say, you know, from a humanitarian point of view, we just have to agree that people should not be dying. I completely agree. Children, women, innocent men and should not be dying for any cause. That, that's my opinion. Not, they're, they're always the victims of war. That's it. But also, at the same time, you can't deny that both Israelis and Palestinians have a religious um, reason to kind of fight for the land. And that is what makes communication, negotiations, and everything else so hard to reach because of that. Gotcha. What role does the U.S. play in all this? I mean, the U.S. is like uh, the playing a chessboard 
in in destabilizing every country that kind of has any normal any natural resources any kind of it so to me like uh, there's there's a book i've read which i would advise you and your listeners to read it's called um, confessions of an economic hitman i've heard of uh, that book but i've never yeah, read it by john perkins and it really highlights how much um how the the us kind of in the uh, in the 80s and the 90s little bit before that, how they took control over so many lands, whether it was in the Middle East or in uh, South America, uh, because those countries had natural resources like gas and and, and oil. And uh, it, it, it shows you how, for example, they either um, take over that land by political power. So they throw, they do a like a coup in the country and, you know, the previous president is thrown out and they put a new president which will be pro-US, uh, or they create a sort of like agreements with them by giving them money and stuff. It's it's um, it's, it's a very good book. Uh, basically, the US has, as they say, has interests in the region, right? So the entire Arab world, especially the Arab Gulf, is the richest in, in oil on the planet. That That's a given. And it's not within the US best interest that these countries have control over the, the, the petrol. They, it's not within their interest to, to allow the Arab countries to kind of maintain a power uh, within their own resources. So the existence of the, the way they support uh, Israel through, through all the money that they give them, all the weapon, all, all of that, is to maintain a destabilized region, right? And you always have to have a war happening. Like, notice how from World War II until now, no war actually kind of ends. It's just there's always a new face of terror when it comes to the U.S., right? So you have suddenly it's the, uh, you know, the Arabs with the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, Afghanistan before that. Before that, it was the Cold War with with the USSR. That kind of tumbled and then the Arabs came in and, and... and now you have all these new wars, and now you have Russia again, and the Ukraine, and um, Palestine, and Israel, and Libya, and Iraq. And so there's always a constant need where we keep the the, the 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 area of the entire land destabilized. People are always worried in survival mode. They're not gonna rise up, and they're not gonna you know create a, a better land or better countries. They just always in defense mode. And then you maintain a power over all this all this area. Same thing, like for example, how China is trying to do with Africa now, where they're creating the needs to always go back to China and help them and provide all the resources to them. This is how the Arab world is with the U.S. And this is why Israel, from a political point of view, exists in the region. From a religious point of view, it exists because. It fits the Judaic uh, um, faith, but and and they used that they used that push in so that they get pe- people on board with the plan. You got what I mean. So it's like we use faith and religion in order to allow our, ourselves to create wars and to create, you know, bloodshed everywhere. As long as it's painted under the name of a religion, people will get on board. Because if you remove religion from all of this, if you remove it from the equation, it's just keep people killing each other over a piece of land. People will not get behind it for a, for a very long time. But 
Arabs and Muslims support Palestine because the, the, there is an important religious land. If you see that they were, everyone was very quiet when, Arab, when other countries are being, you know, torn apart by war. Yemen, for example, has been at war since 2014. They say around 21 million people have been displaced in Yemen. Around 75% of children face starvation daily, daily. They don't have access to food. They don't have access to water. And yet no one was talking about it. In Sudan, there's a, there's a civil war happening right now, right now where thousands of people died. In fact, I, I have a few, a few numbers. For example, in, where is this? in Ethiopia, 2,600 people died this year. In, uh, where is this? In Ethiopia, Russia. 11,600 people died in a war that's been happening uh, throughout, you know, uh, um, uh, Libya and Chad and Ivory and Mauritania and all these countries. Myanmar has had 11,500 people die this year. These are numbers that are insane. And yet people are not talking about them that much. Why? Because there's no religious ties to those lands. You got what I mean? It's not just that it picks up viral uh, on, on, on the internet or whatever. There's a reason why people feel passionate about this. It is always goes back to religion. And that's why it's never going to get resolved unless people shed that, that aspect of it. Yeah, but that's easier said than done. Um, oh, yeah. Religion is, you know, I'm I'm a Christian myself, but like you said, um, you know, I'm not one of those people that tries to force my yeah. faith on other people. You know, I'm a live and let live kind of person. So yeah. my question is, what potential solutions could there be? You know, is there anybody out there talking? I've heard something about a two state solution. Um, is that something that's feasible or? I mean, a two-state solution has it was the, the first thing that was uh, proposed in 1947. So it's not it's not a new solution or anything like that. It's that's that's the original plan. The original plan was to because there were Jewish settlements already there. It's not like there were no Jews in, in the land. You know what I mean? It's not like everyone just came in on a boat and suddenly they started living there. There were Jewish settlements there, and there were absent settlements. And uh, it was proposed to have a Jewish, uh, a two-state, but the um, the Palestinian uh, government at the time refused it. They were like, "No, we don't. We're not gonna divide the land, or we're not gonna." And and I, I know also that the proposed solution was um, the, the Jewish settlements were more. They went in the like in the hub of the country, so they were more like you know far and in empty lands as well. Uh, the problem now is that so much there's so much history and blood that I've spoken with several Palestinian people uh, that have left Palestine a long time ago. And they tell you that if we now reach an agreement to a two-state uh, solution, it's like everyone died in vain. Mm. Like those people who died, it's like, then what, what's the meaning of their sacrifice? You know what I mean? So... It's like everyone's back is into the wall because not only are they carrying a wall right now, but they're carrying the death of thousands and thousands of people that for the past uh, 75 years that it's like, we can't, we can't agree. We can't just, you know, say, hey, okay, thank you, forgive, forget. Let's just live together happily now. Uh, 
so uh i may cut you off let me ask you this yeah. so how do you see this ending like are they just gonna keep killing each other into infinity or I mean, are we talking about the the current uh, war or you mean in in well the future? I, I guess both like uh I, i'm assuming what's gonna happen is eventually there's gonna be like a ceasefire and then everything will calm down yep. and then like within five years or so it'll flare up again and yep. then it's just gonna keep on doing that but my thing is how do we stop this i mean is it possible to stop it or do we just have to live with this for forever Honestly, it's it's a very very difficult thing to even you know try to to uh, predict or think think of because, like I said, there's so many different factors into this. And when Yanni, this is not just a war between Israel and Palestine. Right? This is yeah. the U.S. This is Europe, Russia, the Arab countries, uh, China. It's such a big. There's so much bigger things happening behind the scenes. And these are these wars are like you know everyone's trying to to uh, to show their muscles uh, as we say it's like uh, you know like no one can afford to go to an an all out nuclear war with each other so so that's how they they resolve their issues right it feels like now this is what this was kind of like a like the plan of we need to create a very big impactful destructive war and it's gonna you know like like flatten parts of of lands in Gaza in order to reach a certain agreement that they're gonna get to whether it's gonna be you know in November or December like it's just let's just continue the the the, the hit I read this um once not read sorry I heard this guy talking recently and he said no war in history was ever won by airstrikes only like you need boots on the ground if you actually are looking to end a war, you don't do it from airplanes hitting target military location. Like you do it on the land, right? And the reason why Israel doesn't do that is because they don't want to end the war. Same thing for, mm-hmm. for, 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 the, for uh, Hamas and the Arabs, is they don't want that war to end. You have to, you have to accept from a, from a place that, like I said earlier, is that it's, it's within their best interest to maintain the war, right? So until it's, it's to me, I mean, it sounds very idealistic and, you know, not realistic at all. But the only way for this thing, no one's going to, you know, like kind of um, destroy the other completely. Right? There's no such thing as where like Palestine is going to win a complete war and there's not going to be any Jewish person in Israel left. It's not going to happen. And same thing for the other side. Israel is not going to kill everyone in Palestine. And just like, you know, have the whole state of Israel and live peacefully. This is not going to happen ever. It never happened. So in, in terms of hoping, I feel like it's people who have to revolt against their own governments. So Israelis have to revolt against their own government. And Palestinians have to revolt against their own government, which is Hamas. And you need to change that layer so that you can actually have communication with your enemy and reach a solution. That, that's to me is the the best way or the, the only way that, that that makes sense. That that doesn't involve any more war on, and blood, because people have to rise up. The, the 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 this class has to say enough is enough. We've lived through war. We've lived in fear. 
everyone we know is suffering. We need to stop doing the same thing. We need to stop allowing our governments to drag us into wars because it doesn't matter who launched the first, you know, who threw that first rock or whatever. It's, they did it. So when they do it, they drag everyone into war. Everyone is suffering. So that, that's how I see it. it the, the, it's the new generation. It's the younger generation that needs to not be bloodthirsty and try to break that cycle. They need to go against. And there was actually a sort of like, there were rumors in, in Israel that they were gonna, there's some revolutions happening within Israel against Netanyahu and that they'd wanted him out of power. And kind of this war came in at right the, uh, the, the correct time, shocking. And kind of like now everything is, is you know, like quiet again and all that. So, Yane, that, that's how I see it. It's, it's the only change that can come is from people. That's it. Because that's how yeah. any change happened in history. Yeah, it's always been the people. Um, you know, I don't want to get any like conspiratorial or anything, but I remember that like they, they were saying that uh there were these big protests in Israel yep. a couple mm-hmm. of months mm-hmm. back. Yeah. And they were saying that like Israel was about to have a civil war or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And and then this happened on October seventh. Now, one thing I do know about Israel is that they have the best intelligent agency oh, yeah. in the world, maybe even better than the CIA. Well, when, when they tell you, exactly, because when they tell you that Palestinians can't like leave the land without, you know, without going through checkpoints in uh, of Israelis, when the, the Palestinians are like in Gaza, for example, it's almost like a, like an open air prison. They can't do anything without Israelis intelligence, knowing everything. And then suddenly you want to convince me that on a night out of nowhere, October 7, just Hamas took over and like bombed things into hell and no one saw this coming. Are, are you serious? Dude, exactly. they, they can they can now hear this conversation we're having, by the way. Like I, I yeah. can't go to the bathroom without them knowing I'm doing it. Everything is recorded all the time. Like they have technology we can't even fathom. And you're telling yeah. me they did not know that this this is all just everyone is in agreement. Okay. Everyone just wants war happening all the time. They they it's time for us to use these weapons because they're going to expire at some point. These missiles have, have an expired date. We need to use them. Now that we've used them, we can go and buy new weapons. And, and the cycle continues. This is it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'm going to let you have the last word. What is one thing you want people to understand, like especially people in America? You know, what is one thing you want us to understand? And also, what should people in America do to help uh, create peace or foster peace in this region, if anything. I mean, so I, I feel like the, the reaction that was that's happening now is obviously has good and bad, like some misinformation is going, but also there's awareness and that's something that that is good because you can't stop that. At least the media is not in control as they used to be because even when people are watching news channels like CNN or Fox or whatever, they go like, yeah, but that's not what I saw from that guy on Twitter. You know what I mean? Or, or that guy yeah. on TikTok. So now that's easier. So that's good. I feel like, you know, bringing awareness to what's happening is good. And the fact that a lot of people are actually pushing for Palestinians, not for like Hamas or for political, even Jewish people are pushing for humanitarian stuff, like to stop this war. It's not about, you know, Israel as, as a religious state, but like just from a human perspective, we need to stop that. So, so I think that's a good thing. That's at least it's a start. It's always like 
like I said, it's the people who need to change the regimes. They they need to change whoever is you know governing them. And one way of doing it is the way it's happening now. I think. Sorry. I think that people should not get overly emotional or over or oversimplify things as well. Okay, so it's not as simple as you might think. There's so much history. There's so much things that are happening behind the scenes that you don't really understand because you're not in the culture. You you haven't lived here, so you don't really grasp how complicated things are. But I feel at least this time, people are trying to, to make a change. And that's always the first step into something new. They no longer are looking at it from, uh, oh, it's just, you know, Israel. No, there is Israel, the government, and there's Israel, the people. And there's Palestine, the government, and Palestine, the people. And it's usually only governments who are morons and, and, and bloodthirsty, and it's usually people who want peace. So I think if that keeps pushing and, you know, just try and, yeah, that, 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 that's how I see it. Yeah, gotcha. Um, where can people go to find you online? I know that you so, have a podcast and... Yeah, so I do have a podcast. It's very far <laughs> from uh, everything we're talking about. Uh, it's uh, it's more into um, uh, conspiracy theories, actually, and uh, into uh, you know more paranormal, supernatural, uh, philosophical kind of uh, thing. So um, it's called the Paradigm Shift. Uh, so they can find me on any podcast channel that they have: Spotify, Apple, iTunes, anything. And uh, yeah, that's that's where most what's where I am. Uh, but like I said, it's it's not political. It's purely you know uh, it's a completely different topic than than what I'm talking about today. All right, Dan. And one last thing, you mentioned the book uh, "Confessions of an Economic Hitman." Are yep. there any other books that people should check out to get a better understanding of what's going on? Um. Honestly, I'm not too familiar with that uh, because uh, there's a lot of bias when it comes to writing books. So there's always sources that you need to go back to understand whether they're it's completely too objective or subjective and all that. But I would invite people to read more. Uh, like if you're familiar with um, George Orwell, um, so you have 1984 and you have Animal Farm. These two books by themselves, they're like the blueprints of what's happening today. It's 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 kind of insane uh, because it's uh, when you read those books, it makes you more critical into understanding what the media is saying, what the government is saying, what the people are saying. So you start to pick up on where the lies are and where the truth could be hidden. So to me, those books are more important than getting into into details about this country did that and that country because these are always going to be you know some misinformation but i advise people to always read books that make you understand politics in general make you understand how these systems come to power uh, so that you, so that when you see it happening in real time you can question it and don't just accept things at face value don't just open the media accept the news like this is happening there and and these people are good and these people are bad there's one thing I say in 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 like the, the biggest misconception of war is that you think there are two sides and one is a good side, one is a bad side. That's not reality. Reality is that there's a hundred bad sides to a war. Everyone wants to benefit themselves. 
there's the the you know the banking sector the oil sector the 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 energy sector there's the pharmaceutical sector there's the government with power the, all these different entities are fighting for control the only good sides are the people that's it there's no two sides to a war where it's 100% this side's fault and 100% you know these people are innocent and and deserve no it's it's never it's never like that it's never this simple gotcha i think that's the great way to end it uh thank you for coming on this has been a great discussion and um i'm definitely going to check out your podcast and i hope my uh listeners do as well you have a yeah, nice sure. day thank you so much uh, thank you for having me thank you hey no problem have a nice day take care hey Sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse and intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z pod pod at gmail.com now back to the podcast all right that's a wrap thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on bright brains i hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration heal your own bright ideas if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to like and subscribe rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.